From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable coming to you from Beijing. I'm Lai Ming. Coming up on today's show, a recent report sheds some light on China's latest move to promote high-quality growth in agriculture. We look at programs like science and technology backyards and their potential to transform agricultural production. And summer means bright sunlight scorching our skin. In recent years, Chinese people have noticeably stepped up their efforts to guard against sunburn. We look at the popular practices and common misconceptions when it comes to sun protection. You can share your thoughts with us by writing to ezfmbrowntable at foxmail.com or help more people find us by rating and reviewing us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. Now on Roundtable, I'm joined in the studio by Fei-Fei and Niu Hongling. To begin with our discussion on modern agriculture, Fei-Fei, uh, tell us the latest development on a doctoral farm program. Yes, so the doctoral far- farm program actually started in a suburb in Beijing called the Pingu District. And the district launched the program last year in April, and with a total of 85 farms, that's approved to be built in the district. And with 13 scholars and over 400 doctoral students participating in these programs, aka working in these farms. And so it's been a year, more than a year. So And Pingu, Pingu District held a promotion fair last week to try to better introduce this program to the market, to investors, and more importantly, to companies, mm-hmm. so that they can build this kind of a bridge for farms and companies to better cooperate. And in other words, to basically help the farms sign contracts with a lot of the enterprises in the country. And so during the farm, they introduced a lot of achievements they've done over the 
last year. For example, the the farm program introduces over six hundred germplasms resources, aka seeds, such as buckwheat. Upland rice, or Chinese herbal medicine, or corn, or some vegetables, and more on and on. And they also helped to transform a lot of the agricultural technologies and also innovations. And over 100 achievements, such as high quality lettuce, colorful eggplant, and ecological planting of traditional Chinese medicine, has also been recognized. But the market, and more importantly, six of the doctoral firms actually signed contracts with potential cooperative enterprises at the at the fair, so that they can continue cooperate and work more on the molecular design of buckwheat breeding and biological breeding for upland rice. So, to be brief, this has been a Demonstration program or pilot program where、uh, very advanced scholars and and students come together to actually to the somewhere to, in the field in Pingu in the suburb of Beijing to experiment and research on the latest technology.、Uh, in some cases, it, the the latest technology sort of crystallizes in what we call germplasm resources,、mm-hmm. which are actually seeds. Tell us why do seeds matter here? Well, we are calling it seeds, but it's not that accurate per se because it also contains other part of the plant. So as long as these、um, items of the plant can be useful in corp breeding research and conservation efforts, they are going to be called germplasm. So these plants, seeds, or cultures are plasm one maintained for well germplasm one maintained for the purpose of studying, managing, or using the genetic information they possess.、Mm. So the idea is if a seed of a old To, let's say tomato variety is、mm-hmm. just a seed. One, it is produced by a gardener or a seed company, but it is considered germplasm. One, it's a part of a collection of gathered by the genetic diversity of tomatoes, or、uh, because of the diverse genetic diversity of tomatoes, or it is used by some scientists to for the purpose of perceiving particular genetic controlled traits. So that's what the scientists do essentially, and that is to try and tweak. The plants and、uh, mostly plants, and also maybe agricultural products, to try and make them more distinctive in the sense of maybe they have more yield, maybe they are more resistant to diseases, maybe they are more adaptable to certain environment. And all of these research come into fruition in the form of these seeds. And Well, that's that's is the immediate result of the research. Further on, the research was important for them is to try and introduce them. To、yeah. the general public, to more and more fields out there. So my feeling is that for these doctoral farms or PhD farms, they are bringing these relatively mature results of their、um, scientific research to the farms, to the countryside, to、mm-hmm. the farmers, so that they can test how it's been used in actual agricultural activities. Maybe they can actually use these seeds, use these germplasm to、um, cultivate and. New brand and new breed, so that they can sell them to the market, like Fefe has said. And this is not the only try or the only、uh, temptation. Actually, I feel like it's a quite successful temptation、oh, yeah. to bring the scientists into the playground of a countryside, into the country,、um, because we have another. 
um, very successful program that is called the Science and Technology Backyard Program. It is actually initiated by a professor from China Agricultural University, and he led teachers and graduate students to establish the very first science and technology backyard in Hebei Province back in 2009. And、um, he actually said that back in 2008, his team had the ability to publish over 100 papers a year. Okay, that is already. A great achievement, and he felt that he's not helping enough people by doing sheer research. And he decided maybe bringing the students and teachers actually into the countryside would be a better idea to move from purely theoretical to practical. And that is the,、um, let's say, establishment of the very first. SciTech backyard, and now there are more than 1,000 such backyards around the country doing much more, I would say, interesting and useful things in China's countryside. Well, that's a very interesting、uh, description of what they do at the scientific and what backyards, technology backyards. But one interesting thing to say is, well, there used to be a time when, well, in ancient China, when we look at scholars and. Sometimes we dismiss them as "sitti bu qing wu bu bu fen," meaning、uh, they don't actually they use the brains instead of their their limbs. They don't really work out and they don't really walk the fields. So as a result, they don't necessarily know a lot about agricultural things. I mean that used that used to be the case. What would be the case right now? I mean, what do you think what they're doing right now would be different from what they used to do in the past? Well, I think first of all, first of all, is that the students and teachers involved in these programs can, you know, worked on the fields themselves with local farmers. They can communicate them with the farmers day by day, and they got to see, you know, the researches they're supposed to do in the lab, real hand. For example, if they're planting grapes. Or wheat, they're able to start from the beginning. Start from with planting the seed in the field, and then see these plants growing bigger and bigger and produce fruits or, or other crops、mm-hmm. in the end. And they also can see what the farmers currently are struggling with. For example, we've. Um, done a lot in agricultural technologies over the decades, but there for scholars, I feel like especially students, they don't get like a real picture of how are these technologies being used by farmers, and especially here in China, a lot of farmers don't have a very higher education, and they are not really able to comprehend a lot of the high-end agricultural technology, let alone use them. On a daily basis, and so I think it will be a really good platform for them to to see each other. Like the farmers can communicate with experts on their problems. For example, they start to see something wrong with their plants, but they're not really sure what to do, and you know what's the problem really is. And for the scholars, they're able to see what the market really wants and needs, and so that they can alter their researches in that direction. And so I think it will be more like a, a really helpful and win-win sort of cooperation partnership, so that we are not seeing. I think in before in the past is more like the researchers are doing their thing in the lab, and they are trying to work for the next level higher technology. 
but the farmers are doing their things, and the lab thing and the field thing are not linked in in a way. And and I think with pro- programs like the science and technology backyard, they're sort of bridging these two groups together. Well, that that's- is. Yeah, please, that go is ahead. totally a really good point, and it's actually what's happening because Professor Zhang Fuso, who is the creator of such idea, he actually said that when they first arrive into the countryside, they wonder how would they help the farmers, and they've they they've noticed this little phenomenon that the farmers would try to tell uh, distinguish the correct or the uh, real fertilizers from the false ones,、mm-hmm. and guess how they do it? Yeah, they lick them. Ooh. They give them a tiny little lick, and if it burns, they know it's the the right ones. There's acid in there. And exactly, and Professor Zhang was very shocked. He was like, "We've been working in agriculture for so many years. We've been working in labs. We've been working in universities, and now our dear farmers are doing this. Can't we create a simple way to?" Distinguish the right fertilizers from the wrong ones. Yes, we can, but we didn't know there is this need, and that is the problem. Fefe has just pointed out that for our scholars, they didn't have an idea about how are these little tiny things are actually bothering the farmers.、Mm-hmm. And as for students, students have their own problems as well. They didn't. They were not really good researchers, but it's not because they lack the knowledge. Because、uh, actually, Professor John said that.、Um, When he introduces his students to local farmers, he would ask students to work with these very mature farmers. And at the very first couple of weeks, they would have no idea what to do. They do not really know how to farm.、Mm-hmm. But after that first several week, that first stage, they would understand the technique. They would understand how to do it, and they would incorporate their knowledge of farming into the current situation. So they come up with. Um, "Quote unquote," their own ways, and their own ways would be better than the veteran farmers, and they can then teach their ways to the farmers and help them. So, see, win-win situation. Right. Well, well, the image that I conjured up earlier on about doctors and scholars in ancient times not knowing anything about farm work may have been outdated. Honestly, in recent decades,、uh, there are、uh, a lot of field work, field research,、uh, on the part of scholars and students studying. Agriculture to get in touch with what's really going on on the ground,、uh, but uh, maybe not to that extent. And there is a, a gap in terms of knowledge and information between the academic and、uh, the farmers who are actually working the field.、Um, the seventh national census shows that 73 percent of the rural laborers who are engaged in agriculture, forestry, animal husbandry, and fishery are above the age of 45, and nearly 93 percent of those within the said demographic have only attained a junior school level education or below. So even though、uh, researchers and academic academicians and scholars may have come up with very good ideas to test if the fertilizers are good or false, but、uh, in real life maybe the farmers don't necessarily possess the knowledge and know-how to really put them into practice. And as such,、um, 
that we do have some mechanisms in place. And prior to the talk about science and technology backyard, uh, there's also um, the practice of introducing technicians, mm. uh, technical staff support to instruct farmers uh, on the ground. But here still there is a gap in the sense that these technicians are trained. I mean, certainly they know what they're doing, but they don't necessarily know the theory behind what they do. Uh, one typical example in my hometown, Jiangxi province, where they plant a lot of tea trees, is uh, the discovery of how a whole garden, a whole patch of tea trees have been planted very close to each other, and they are also very closely related in terms of uh, genetics. And as a result, they cannot produce very good yield, even though uh, there is a massive, there's an economy of scale. And it takes the eyes of professional scholars to know that, and also to tell, that these um, these plants are, are genetically quite close, too close to uh, sustain uh, demand for uh, better yield. And as a result, uh, these the scientists are able to do this. Another example would be, for instance, what uh, New Holland mentioned earlier uh, at the promotional fair, uh, the, the lattice that's being shown uh, at the prom promotional fair is quite interesting in the form of, what well, the lattice has been developed to not only look nice but also taste nice so uh, it is also answering the demand on the part of urban dwellers to grow their own vegetables and also not uh, not fret the appearance of, of a, a plain and green lettuce so it's this is a good example to illustrate that maybe the average farmer don't know the latest demand for certain agricultural products and it takes certain scholars and academicians who are uh, in the research who are in the business to know yeah and even though we say that the farmers might have not really a high education actually their ability to learn these new techniques that learn the new way of doing things is right up there actually this team of research when they went into the uh, countryside and started to talk with farmers they realized if you teach the farmers the new way of doing things for let's say two or three hours teach them how to do it in a more advanced way they learn the technique, but they can only absorb around 20 to 30%. But if you go into the field and actually show them how to do it, they can absorb around 40, 50 to 60%. And if you go shoulder by shoulder with them, go work in the field for a season, not only will they be able to do things completely in the new way, actually after two or three years, if you come back to that countryside, you would realize that the same batch of farmers who have learned from you are evolving their techniques according to current situation, according to maybe the plants of that year. So yes, our farmers are in need of such technology. And also they have the ability to the ability to learn. And in that sense, a lot of places started to realize the importance of actually introducing talent, introducing scholars into the countryside, not only to give lectures, but to actually be there in the um, doctoral farm, in the backyards, and just live with the farmers. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like with programs like the science and technology backyard programs and also the doctoral farm programs is that they are starting to introducing young people 
into rural areas. We've heard so much over the media about, you know, Chinese villages are are getting empty and quiet. It's because, you know, frankly, farmers aren't thinking they're getting enough from just working on the field. And as Lai Ming just said, that the majority of the rural workers are mostly aged about the age of 45. And now thinking about in the future, in long term, what about what would our agriculture look like, say, 20 years after this? And so obviously we need young people to want working agriculture. And frankly, for students and young teachers who take up the major of agriculture, they must found agriculture and farming to be at some extent charming mm. and attractive. And also we are seeing more young people calling them new farmers out there right now is that they want to build new ways of farming to be more, for example, organic mm. or to be more environmental friendly, or they can sort of working out a new model for them to be able to build and grow um, healthy vegetables or breed healthy animals and also make enough money for them to feel they are well off in the society. So all these new farm- farmers right now with a lot of uh, related theoretical background in this college and wanting to work in the industry and eventually get into the market, I think it will be also something that we can get in return over the long term is that more talents in agriculture and of course better technologies, better business mode and also more people are able to, for example, we're talking about smart agriculture to understand the know-hows of running like let's say uh, drones, uh, a, a big batch of drones working on the field or how to see the really advanced irrigation system to work. And I'm not saying, you know, these current farmers can't understand. I, I would just say it's more difficult for them to grasp this. I totally agree. Actually, many people say maybe the future direction of Chinese agriculture involves encouraging most farmers to grow high value crops, like Fifi has mentioned, so that it can increase their income, while a small portion of farmers engage in scaled up machinerized production with government support to ensure food security. That might, in my opinion, I do believe that is going to be the future of Chinese agriculture. Yet the problem here is over 90% of farmers here in China are small-scale farmers Mm -hmm. uh, to understand how they cultivate their land and how to assist them to, um, to let them understand or let them pick the right product for them is the first step. The Chinese scientists majoring in agriculture need to do. Mm. There still is a gap. I mean, the scientists are doing a good thing, obviously, with the doctoral farm and sci-tech backyards and and programs like this. But still, um, I think... uh, there are only let's let's be uh, ambitious and let's say there are three thousand programs out there. There still uh, is limitation to what they can do, also to the amount of people they can reach. So uh, I, I still think there's a gap in what they do and in what is needed actually in the field. And uh, I think there still needs to be uh, more players in this game. For instance, do you think corporations uh, have a part to play in this, in promoting some of the technologies that these scientists have worked so hard to come up with? 
Well, definitely, I think big corporates always can play a bigger role when we are trying to upgrade an industry or you know moving a step forward. They have the money, they have the resources, they are able to have the talents to do the thing. For example, when we're talking about smart technology, smart agriculture, really, is that. I've really read、uh, some scholars talking about how smart techno,、uh, smart agriculture can look like in the future. Is that they want to have this system、um, to monitor the products during the process of their growth?、Mm-hmm. For example, right now when we are trying to plant tomatoes, and the things most of the farmers would do is that they alter some of the Um, conditions in the greenhouses. For example, they raise the temperatures by one degree, and they wait for a period of time. For example, three months or half a year to see how these rays of temperatures will affect the、mm. tomatoes. But that's really low efficiency if we think about this. And now a lot of scholars are seeing: Can we have this system that we can monitor the changes happening right now in the plant? Real time, so that we don't have to wait for the months and years to tell the results. But obviously, small-scale farms are not able to do this, and I think only big corporates are able to work on such technologies and also commercialize it. And also, I think local governments are playing a bigger part here as well. They're trying to attract more talent into the rural areas. For instance, of course, basic land guarantee is there. You give them the land they need to do their research, and there are preferential policies,、uh, making sure their housing, transportation, and Dif- different kinds of funds, launching funds, and different kinds of subsidies are in place, and there are infrastructures basically constructing everything、um, already, and making sure that if a farm doctor want to go in, they can just grab their bag and just live in these little worker stations or little doctor farm offices, and they can start their research right like that. Mm-hmm, right, and what's really significant here in this country is China feeds nearly one fifth of the world's population with only nine percent of the world's arable land. So the pressure on getting better yield is always important.、Uh, we, of course, we can achieve this to some extent with the economy of scale. We keep talking about it: how we can replace these small individual farmers with、uh, large-scale corporates who can.、Uh, Upscale and、uh, adopt mach- machines and and high-end technologies like big data and and that sort of thing. But still,、uh, there are nuances that we need to look into as well. That that's why we need the scientists. For instance,、um, when the market decides that、uh, is. Profitable to grow vegetables as compared to、uh, the grains and rice crops.、Um, the people might want to rush ahead and, and grow vegetables, which is more harmful to the environment given the taken. Current level of technology and and,、uh, and know how. So as a result, the scientists will need to find ways and be innovative to try and make it worthwhile to grow uh, uh, vegetables environmentally as well. That you're listening to Roundtable coming up in the second half of the show. Are we practicing excessive sun protection, or, or、uh, is it okay for a man to wear to hold an umbrella out there? Dive, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive. 
into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Lai Ming, plus Fei Fei and Liu Hongling in the studio. Coming up, more and more people put on serious protection to guard against sunburn. You know they really mean it when you can't tell one from another under the sunglasses and thin, ultra-thin layer of hoodie with breathable fabrics. Are we overreacting when it comes to sun protection? What is fueling the latest fashion in summer? And in our motivational Monday segment, we will each share a quote that will give us the energy and drive to go about the week's business. Now let's get back to business. What is the typical solution to sun protection these days? I mean,、uh, from my personal observation, in recent years, I see more and more people wearing、uh, the hoodie that、I、mentioned earlier, the ultra-thin hoodie that is supposed to be、uh, breathable、uh, when you are even、uh, outside in in the in the sun. And I see people wearing these.、Um, Sometimes not a hoodie, but an individual、uh, hat or overall kind of thing. It covers your entire face, leaving only two、uh, two eyes popping out and, and looking. When you say people, do you do you mean me? Because I sit next to you and I do that every day. Well, you included, but, but、yeah. people in general. Would you wear sunglasses? You know, outside of the the the. the I don't.、Clothing. I don't wear sunglasses because my glasses are actually they can change. It can well they change their colors due to different level of sunlight.、Huh. So it's kind of like sunglasses,、uh. but back in indoor it changes back to regular glasses. High tech stuff. High tech stuff, and the reason that I am wearing all these hoodies and、um, masks and this pretending、really、to be an astronaut and <laughs> trying to make sure no one, even if they know me really well, can recognize me in the building, is because I was torn by the fact that I do not understand sunscreen or sun lotion or sun spray anymore because there are just、mm. so many different factors in play. No,、there、not even you. So many. Many different. I mean, I can read、uh, the cover of it. I can read the description of the item, but I would not know if they're telling the truth. And there are so many different, let's say, parameter to look at. For instance, do you know a product can only be labeled as UV protection only when the UPF, which is the ultraviolet protection factor, is greater than thirty, and the transmittance of UVA, that is ultraviolet. A, which I do not even know what ultraviolet A is, that thing is less than five percent. When the UPF is greater than fifty, the protection level is labeled as UPF fifty plus, and all these different factors、um, indicates how much ultraviolet. Sunlight is transmitting to your skin. It tells you how much longer you can、mm-hmm. stay in the sunlight, stay under sunlight, and it doesn't. I mean, all these things are too complicated for me. So I chose direct.、Um, let's say. Getting rid of sunlight directly, which is wearing a hoodie that covers ninety percent or ninety-five percent of my skin. Fei Fei, what do you make of it? Is it too complicated for you? These、yeah. talk of UPF and UVA and fifty percent and five percent and thirty and fifty plus that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, frankly, you know, as somebody who put on sunscreen on a daily basis, I just buy the product based on you know what the description says. 
They okay. say we have a fifty protection something. I think it's good enough for me in the summer, and I I buy thirty protection something in the winter because of you know different levels of sunlight out there. And but I'm 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 also really thankful for two products out there. One is the mask, because obviously you know as. When we see examples online, you know, for us who put on screen lotions or sprays, and compared to those who cover themselves up with a physical layer of clothing or something else,、mm-hmm. you can see that really the only thing can work against the sunlight is the physical layer out there. It's like the chemical lotion stuff sometimes won't work. As good as we think, I will say. So it's something I think is very complicated. But it's like you know, I have to protect myself against the sun because, obviously, according to a lot of researches, getting into too much sunlight can generate a lot of problems, skin conditions, and also fasten your、uh, your pace of aging. And that really freaks me out. And that's. Sort of me as a comfort step for me to saying, you know, I'm taking some action against the aging part, but I'm not really、so. <laughs> that cautious about, you know, getting sun protection and the sunlight thing. Your placebo sunscreen, <laughs>、mm. <laughs> right? Somebody who、uh, has almost slept through all of his biology classes, I, I do find it difficult to navigate、uh, the shelves in supermarkets、uh, uh, for. Uh, some screen protection and some screen lotions, and、uh, it's much more straightforward to、uh, read articles saying, "Oh, it's so much easier and so much more efficient to put on a mask and、uh, block the sunlight." Do you think this is why we are seeing a shift in recent years? We we did talk about this shift、uh, a few years ago on Roundtable as, as well, and there's a shift to、uh, what Fei Fei mentioned earlier: the physical sun protection as in the form of a mask or a hoodie or whatever covers your your body. I mean, this is.、Uh, do you think this is because the retailers have failed? At con- educating and convincing customers on the sunscreen lotion, I mean, especially given the、uh, complicated、uh, terms that are involved, do you think because they have failed in convincing people to buy sunscreen lotion, and they and as a result they find a way out in the form of promoting physical covers? On the contrary, I think they're doing a really successful job、oh, right、yeah? there because、mm-hmm. not only am I having all these blogs, the masks, I also have sun cream, sun lotion, sun spray. It's like in addition to all those things. So they've upped the game. They have upped the game because they tell you that certain product are. Um, let's say chemistry kind of sunblock. Some are physical、mm-hmm. sunblock. Some would hurt your skin if you don't wash them with certain product efficiently and timely. And they also tell you that for different wavelengths of sunlight out there, they only protect a portion of sunlight, the specific length of wave of the portion of the sunlight <laughs> can be blocked. Others might not, meaning that you might need to. Buy new product, and sometimes they tell you the color of your、uh, clothes. That is the some blocking kind of clothes, the really light ones. Might not be、um, sufficient in terms of different colors absorb different sunlight, and they can be. 
different in protection, and also they tell you sometimes it is not the fabric itself is protecting you from the sunlight,、okay. but a certain layer of material on the cloth that is protecting you. Meaning that after two or three years, after the material. You spray or not you? The manufacturer spray on your clothes is run off. You are going to need buy new ones. So all these anxiety, all these ideas, putting into your head about getting too much sunlight would. Make you age faster would give you skin cancer would be bad for you is all the motivation I have to buy again again or one more product after another when it comes to sunblock. But is our anxiety or the attempt to tune up our anxiety justified?、Uh, are we supposed to be worried about sunburn or exposure to sunburn? Well, I think it really depends. For example, for those who work. In outdoors, very frequently, of course, they need some level of protection because they will get some burns after, for example, work, working under the sun for ten hours or eight hours. But、uh, personally, for me, I think for people work in the office, I think the big concern should be: Are we getting enough sunlight? <laughs> Really, this is from somebody who puts on sunscreen both in winter and in summer. Yeah, I only put on you know around face and neck area. I don't put on sunscreen, for example, on my arms, on my legs. Oh, I do that too. Yeah, so so、uh, I would say it's not if really talking about you know protection against the sun. I'm not really doing enough.、Um, it's just that you know we we all raised babies, and when we raising the baby, one important. Thing we need to do to keep the baby healthy is to get him or her under the sunlight for for a period of time every day, so that you know his or her body start to generate vitamin D, and you know that helps with the calcium and also help with the bone、um, density and everything else. And I think if that works for babies, it also works for us. Really, that we need. Calcium. We need vitamin D, and of course we can take supplements. But I think, of course, getting from the natural resources, from the sunlight, from your food, would be more sustainable. I would say. So I think for a lot of the concerns against aging, against sunburn, against skin cancer, really for us in China, I don't see that was. That big of a concern compared to countries, for example, in Australia, they have a very, very serious issue when it comes to skin cancer because the people there just love getting tanned under the sunlight. They will stay under the sunlight for four hours, six hours every day as much as they can. And of course, with the UV levels over there, and they start to. Have You know, have skin conditions, have skin cancers, and that's you know a, a problem of different countries and different cultures. But for I think most of us in China and also other Asian countries, I would say our big concern should be you know we need to get more sunlight so that we can produce enough vitamin D and calcium for our body. I think that is a really good point. But the thing is, for a lot of, of course. The most young girls out there. The reason is that they not only do not want 
aging too fast. They also do not want suntan, which、mm. is something maybe those of you who are listening do not understand. But that is a thing for Asian girls. We do not want to be tanned, and in that sense, many people would prevent themselves from the sunlight because even though our body has this own mechanism to prevent damage of our skin under、mm-hmm. sunlight, that would still produce more.、Um, Brown pigment to darken the skin, even though that process is actually very healthy, because because that process also helps provide and to generate the vitamin D we need. So all that healthy、um, process、mm-hmm. not welcomed for many young girls. And to the extent that I have read a news online that a, a Japanese young bride, because she wanted to be as pale as Snow White on her wedding, in my opinion, she covered her body entirely for more than. Half a year,、okay. so that she could attend the wedding that beautifully,、um, as desirable as in her mind. And afterwards, she realized how successful she was. So she continued that act of showing no bare skin at all under sunlight. Action、mm-hmm. continued to when she got pregnant. And after a while, because the lack of calcium, she. Experienced a fracture on her waist,、oh. and that is very serious.、And、that process or that story made me realize how much sunlight is important to me. So I decided today, after roundtable, I will go out there without my hoodie for once in the summer. So I'm I'm confused now. I mean, even more confused than I start than we started than before we started this show, and that is. Are we using sun protection for our health, or are we foregoing our health when we use sun protection? And what 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 is the purpose of people putting on sun protection at all nowadays? Is it because they don't know enough about what going goes on with regard to sun exposure, or what their what their bodies need, or have they fallen victim to consumerism and advertising? Well, I think both has its you know role plays here. Is that consumerism is definitely one big factor why we are purchasing so many products for sun protection. You know, remembering one decade ago when people are talking about sun protection, one umbrella would be enough. But slowly, you, we are starting to see people firstly buying masks and you know the long sleeves, and then somehow you know the the hoodie thing pops up in the market, and then the whole cloaky thing start to have its role in the market. I'm I'm just saying more products when it comes to sun protection. And if I'm allowed to generalize, I feel like girls out there are doing a little too much overly sunblocking while. Boys out there are not protecting them their skins enough because many boys feel like getting sunscreen or sun、um, spray is a or bit of umbrella or umbrella is too girly and it's you know frowned upon. So they are not doing enough to protect their skin. Was, are they like me? I was just about to ask the question: Is there a gender disparity with regard to our obsession with sun protection? I've been following this. Uh, for years, because I, for one, is one who would hold an umbrella out there when it's in summertime under the sunlight, and、uh, I, to 
honestly felt a bit uh, embarrassed to begin with at the very beginning. Now uh, you're very comfortable. Now I'm very comfortable. <laughs> I, I tried to uh, justify my practice of holding an umbrella in the sun by believing that um, temperature down there is certainly lower than <laughs> than if you don't hold an umbrella. Plus, uh, it might look, makes you uh, it might make you look more uh, gentlemanly if you were to hold an umbrella for uh, a colleague or a friend of、mm. the other gender. So、uh, there is that talk this year again, again about、uh, whether or not there's a stigma attached to a boy holding an umbrella. What what's the latest now? Well, I think well, frankly, on the street, we are definitely not seeing. More pe- more men holding umbrellas, but I'm sensing like young people are taking actions against the sunlight and then protecting themselves and from the, the sun. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, putting on sun lotion, for example. I don't think a lot of the young people out there would be saying, you know, it's not man enough to put on sunscreen lotions. And I'm think I'm I, I you know had a, some friends who start to put on the sunscreen lotions on a daily basis. And、uh, frankly, for a lot of them out there, for example, if they really love outdoor sports and protect yourself against the harsh sunlight in the summer, is definitely essential. But I think for older generations, that stigma still attached to their mind about you know being a man, and I'm not supposed to wear the hoodie, for example, to hold an umbrella. Even putting on sunscreen lotion is not man enough. So I'm seeing more of the gender differences when it comes to what's being a man and the sun protection. So maybe adopt Lemming's approach. Be a gentleman. Hold an umbrella for not only yourself but a female colleague would help you protect your skin in this summer. So it's nice to see things changing a bit with regard to a boy or a man holding an umbrella. At least here in China. But I remember specifically、uh, getting more stares、uh, when holding an umbrella in daytime、uh, during my stay in Washington D.C. in the U.S. So I wonder whether things have changed where you are, and if you know、uh, what's going on there, and if you'd like to share with them,、uh, with us,、uh, you are welcome to write to us at ezfmroundtableatfoxmail.com. Let's know what's going on out there. And you're listening to Roundtable Motivational Monday. Is next. Welcome back to Roundtable's Motivational Monday. Let's begin with Fei Fei. What do you have for us to get us kickstarted for the week?、Um, so I have a quote from this author called Chris Gilbo. He wrote a book called "Born for This: How to Find the Work You Were Meant to Do," and it's a, supposed to be a very inspirational and promote、uh, motivational book. And in that book, there is a quote saying, "Finding the work you were meant to do is rarely a linear journey. It's a process exploring many little twists and turns that leads us to the place we ultimately belong." So what he tries trying to say here is basically learn to be okay with the seasons of life. And everybody's life isn't a straight line, and is I don't I think it's not only about finding a job for people out there. It's also about other life choices. For example, the Gaokao, some students had just taken, or the Zhongkao, you know, the exam to the high school is about to take place or are taking place at the moment, and. 
it's a moment that when you are having a moment that worth the attention in your life, it's it, sometimes you could alter your path where you are going uh, in the next phase of life, and but it's not really a life or death defining moment. And change the change the change of a path is also not necessarily a bad thing. Really, it can also it can lead to something bad, something that you have is not as good as you imagined, or it can be better or opens up a new world to you, something you 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 don't know you know. You don't know before, so and the author also said, you never signed a contract agreeing only to do one thing for the rest of your life, and also I think especially for young people out there, there always space for changes. You can always make changes. If you get into a major in the college that you don't like, you can always change that. There are different ways to do that. If you don't like your current job, you can always change a job or even change industry. So it's like if you plant, say, a strawberry in the summer, it doesn't mean you are not allowed to plant a tomato in the spring. So you you can always make these changes. You just have to look at yourself and think about you know the things you're good at, or the things you really hate doing, and. For example, what other people are most likely to ask you help for, and maybe that's something you are good at, and then you can, you know, explore what can I do with my strength out there, and then make plans based on these evaluations and the twists, the turns, the bad decisions, the stupid things you did, are just the things that opens up、new、more worlds. Yeah, new doors, a better world out there. There's a quote for almost everything. I mean, if you if you read read a story about a successful man being successful because he's being adamant about his goals, you will think, oh, determination is really nice. Being sticking to one goal is really nice. That's the secret to success. But then you look at another man's story of being flexible and winning at the end of the day, you will think, oh, ooh, maybe I could use more flexibility.、Uh, there's always a quote for anything out there. It's important to、uh, adjust your perspective. When, whenever, whatever happens to you,、uh, what matters is your perspective. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is all in your head? Yeah, and also I think it has something to do with the stage you're in at currently. Because for for those who are struggling with their current life or their current career, they're thinking maybe I should change. But I have already put in so much. I maybe I I shouldn't change. I would like to make use of my education,、mm-hmm. of my knowledge that I have already. You know, learned and focused on for so many years. Then Fei-Fei's quote might be very useful, telling them that you're only connecting the dots. In the in the end, you would find none of your knowledge goes in waste. But if you are the kind of person who is really, who who is in deep love of your current job, but you are meeting a lot of challenges and you do not know if you can persist, maybe you can use take a little out of my motivational Monday today because mine is not exactly a quote; it is actually a internet novel、hmm. that I have finished reading recently, thanks to Lai Ming. Because previously you talked about China's internet novels, internet、okay. literature. So Just started on internet novels. Ah,、uh, well, I think you are very much justified when you say China's internet novel is thri- is、um, booming, and I the. The novel I am introducing to you all today is called *The Heart of Genius*. That is the translation. 
the official translation, but I like the Chinese title much more. It's called 天才基本法 which is basically the basic law or the fundamental formula of greatness of a genius. Okay, that that is a really good novel. By the way, it revolves around the main character called Lin Zhaoxi. Her father is a genius, a mathematical genius.、Okay. Her secret love, secret admirer, is also a genius. He loves mathematical research as well. But for our little main character, she's is she a genius? She's not a genius.、Oh. At least not in her opinion. She believes she's an ordinary girl. Math does not come to her as natural. Natural, as it comes to his her father or her future boyfriend, and she felt that、um, when she on the eve of her graduation from college, she like thousands of other graduating students stands at this crossroads, filled with anxiety about the future. She feels that her life no longer holds infinite possibilities, and she cannot pursue mathematics because she's not gifted enough, because she's not smart enough. And of course, as a novel, it has something to do with time travel to a parallel universe to reliving your young. At youth days, being a primary school student with the heart and the soul of a college graduate, all that involved, and also it has something to do with solving a mathematical problem, so that you can save your dad, and、um, <laughs> a lot of you know, a lot of these plots、no、are involved. No pressure, but the thing here is, oh, she made three time travels, and she realized that. Actually, for her,、um, even though she's not a genius in her mind, even though she had to use、she、a can lot of trouble, she's not a genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the time travel comes as an accident, and she realized if she continues to pursue mathematics as long as she put in enough effort, as long as she have quote unquote a life of unwavering. Perseverance and resentless effort, where one constantly strives without faltering, she would appear in others' eyes as a genius.、Oh. So, in her opinion, passion plus hard work plus perseverance plus that, time travel—that is the fundamental formula for a genius. Got it. I think that is a very beautiful story. It, it. I know for some people they believe having the talent, having the Ability to understand things easily is the most important thing. It shows you that your talent lies in this certain area, and you should work in this area. But if even if you don't have that, as long as you're really passionate about the subject you love, as long as you feel like you can continue to work in that area, you'll be fine. You can be a genius of that kind as well. Sure.、Uh, it just so happens that my quote is also some、uh, related to education and college life, and and this is actually not from a famous person, but somebody I know, and she said, "Study the heck out of it, or play the heck out of it." And this is a quote by my former classmate, a cool and charismatic person who was asked for advice on how best to spend the four years in college. And this quote just naturally came to me as nearly 13 million students finished the national college entrance examination last week. I find quite a lot of wisdom in this advice, and after some minor adjustment, I think it makes great advice for students who will move on to college in a few months, especially those who come to live and study in in a big city for the first time in life. 
First of all, always try to study the heck out of it. If you read the news, you know how tough the competition is in the job market. And unless you choose to pursue further studies after college, the next four years will be the last few years that you can be fully devoted to learning, with almost free access to a lot of educational resources and teachers and professors whose job is to help you learn more and learn fast. You'll be a fool to put this opportunity to waste. But study alone is not going to be enough. You also need to play, and play by play, I don't just mean video games and sports, but also look for internships and volunteer jobs. And of course, you will want to travel, talk to people from every corner of the world, and try to work out a relationship. And this is、uh, my opinion after having spent、uh, decades after my、uh, college years. And、uh, that's all for our discussion today. Thank you for listening.